thinking about this the other day. Were you, fam- are you familiar with the Big Dog brand of clothing? Oh. Not to be confused with my dog, whose name is Big Dog. No, I, I, I know that. Okay, so for people that don't, it is, it's a, they brand themselves as athletic wear. I don't really think that's what it is. It's basically a bunch of graphic tees, so to speak. And uh, it's called Big Dog Sportswear. The logo is a St. Bernard. You've probably seen it. And uh, lately, some of their shirt designs are going around on Twitter, on the internet, because they're weird. Um, and and vaguely, like, Toby Keith-esque conservative asshole Anyway, that was like, I don't know why, but that was my favorite store growing up. And I would always go, there was a Big Dog store on the way to the beach. And I'd go and I'd get two shirts every time. Because I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I don't know why, but it just reminded me of like the weird shit that I would that I would wear to school <laughs> growing up. Like th- th- these shirts said something like, and these are more tame ones. If you can't run with the big dogs, stay on the porch. And then there was one that was ten rules of being a big dog. I don't know. I can't even remember a single one of them. But I'm sitting here thinking, why did I feel the need to advertise that on my back at school? I don't know. Um, I'm sure you've had similar experiences with shirts. I know we've talked about 18 Husky pants, but we've never really talked about the, uh, the top half article of clothing that we've, uh, we wore when we were younger. My mom used to buy those shirts from yard sales for like 50 cents. And she used to think that they were the funniest thing. Like she would bring them home all like just to herself, like dying, laughing at these shirts and being like, you gotta see what you're gonna, you're gonna wear to school on Monday. (laughs) You're gonna see what's gonna make all the kids think you're the funniest kid in school. So like, I can still remember, um, so uh, (laughs) a little bit about like, uh, and I know my mom's listening to this too. So she's, she's probably gonna call me and be mad because she listens every episode. Um, but she, she has like this weird thing about buying herself clothes that are too big, but also buying me clothes that are too big. Like when I was a kid. So like I was a big kid, obviously, but I wasn't like a three X big kid, you know, at, at nine years old. But here I am like walking around Martin elementary wearing a shirt that says triple XL on it. And I don't think it actually meant the shirt size. (laughs) And, and, Getting asked now, looking back as a, as a 28 year old, I'm thinking I now understand why teachers were like, is everything OK at home? Because <laughs> my shirts probably said like I can remember there was one shirt it had it had the big dog logo. It said big dogs eat. And then on the back, it said <laughs> it said <laughs> it said, it said just on the front, it said big dogs eat big dogs eats or big, big dogs eat. And then it said big, tr- big <laughs> treats on the back. <laughs> and I can't. It's so stupid to have that on the front because then people are like, yeah, they, they eat. Of course they eat. It's <laughs> just like stating a fact. Like, yeah, I mean, and, and so like my shirts, my shirts were like always big. I still, I still have that issue. I still wear shirts that are too big for me, but like, yeah, like I used to have those shirts all the time. Um, and uh, what was the other one that I had that was a big dog one? I can't remember the exact one, but I can still like picture it and it being like something that was over my head at the time. But my brother, my brother liked to do this thing where he would let me wear some of his clothes like back in the day. Like I used to wear like Jinko jeans because I thought it was cool, oh, yeah. but they were way too big Love for Jinko. me. He, you know, at the time he was like a foot taller than me. So they were all too big. Well, they're also just biggest but he with. he used to like to give me his shirts that were like inappropriate to wear. So like I'm I'm walking around like not realizing that the shirts are like really actually saying really terrible things or like sexual things or whatever. And the whole time I'm like, I'm the cool kid because everybody's coming up and like talking to me and stuff. But in actuality, they just thought my shirt was cool. <laughs> what does the back say? The tr- big, big treats. <laughs> I th- okay, so if I remember correctly, it said big, big dogs eat, and it said it said big treats. I don't know why that's so funny. It's just like, what? Why would you feel the need to like state that on a shirt? Oh, I remember the shirt now. I remember it. 
So the not that shirt. I I not I'm talking about the other shirt that I couldn't think of. And it said um it had the dog and it said big dog, big meat. Big meat? <laughs> yeah, big meat. Oh my god. Uh well I was looking up somewhere <laughs> big dog big meat. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was looking up some while you're talking, um really I think what they represent is like old people humor. Um, this one says, I don't need Google. My wife knows everything. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a, it's, it's a cla- American classic. And then there's one of a dog with a pair of what looks to be wayfarers. And it says, I'm having a great day. Don't screw it up. Like, that's pretty aggressive. <laughs> one of my favorite ones is Big Dog's Alternative Fact. I've only had one beer. <laughs> I like I like um <laughs> some of these are so stupid. Okay. Uh <laughs> if at first you don't succeed, then maybe you just suck. Big dogs. The big dog is always right. I don't and I'm the big dog. Yes. So I don't know why I felt like this was the shirt for me. Maybe it was something where I was suppressing my, like, an inferiority complex when I was young, which is entirely possible. Um, But I just, I was looking back at some of the stuff I wore, and I was like, man, that's stupid. So what was your brand of choice? I Okay, so my brother wore a lot of Echo, so I started wearing a lot of Echo because I I thought it was really cool. Uh, But I also had this brand that I think only Gabe sold it, and I think I've told this story, but it it said Brick City across the chest, (laughs) which was hilarious because I I had this superstition that if I wore it on basketball days, I wouldn't make a shot. I would only throw up bricks. So, like, my mom would, like, give it to me on on school days, like, that I had a basketball game, and I would leave it in the car on purpose – and it it never helped. Like, I still went, like, 20 for 40. I mean, I scored a lot of points, but I sucked. And so uh, I just wouldn't touch it on game days after that. Any of their clothes. Wouldn't touch it. <laughs> but I wore, I wore a lot of that. And um, <clears throat> in junior high, funny enough, uh, I could still remember uh, Aeropostale was a huge thing. Oh, I Jesus start- Christ. I was obsessed with, with getting Dude, those shirts because... I, I loved being a billboard. I loved it because... Uh, like Aeropostale, American Eagle, Nike, just do it. Like all those things across my chest. Like I was like the man, at least I thought. And now looking back, I'm like, man, I overpaid for a $5 shirt. There was always this obsession to have like name brand stuff, which was dumb because it was all so expensive and I couldn't afford it Yeah, either. But I was obsessed with like getting an American Eagle graphic tee. And I was so proud of myself when I like, when I saved up enough money to get my first one. And it, it just feels so stupid because it was like the dumbest shit on the back, like kind of like a big dog shirt. This one was an orange one, it said American Eagle on the front. It said Bubba's Chicken and Waffles on the back. Yeah, I remember that. <clears throat> and then they would have like, um, there was an American Eagle shirt that also had like, what is it? What's that? Uh, Bubba Gump. They had a Bubba Gump shirt at one point. That, yeah, they had teamed up with him, Bubba Gump on the back, oh and I God. thought it—I thought it was the coolest thing. I don't know why I didn't get one because uh, American Eagle—I didn't get a lot of their shirts because a lot of their shirts didn't come in like two X at the time. Uh, a lot of it like stopped at extra large, and then Hollister would just blatantly tell you that they didn't want big people wearing their clothes. So like, I never wore Hollister, but Aeropostale, <laughs> Air, <laughs> them and Abercrombie, yeah. Yeah, Aeropostale, uh, you know, they were they were busting out shirts, but we couldn't afford them. So my mom would do two things. Either one, she would wait until something showed up, either at like the Salvation Army or at yard sales, and then she'd buy them. Or Aeropostale, like every year before school, would, would do their $9 shirts. So I was allowed to go that day and buy $9 shirts. So that was it. And that was when I got to go. It's a big day. Yeah, but the shirts, okay, the funny thing about it, though, is the shirts are not good quality. No. They're they're cheaply made. They're worth about $5, and you're spending, you know, anywhere from 20 to, I mean, some of them were out, like 30 bucks. Abercrombie was like 30 or $35 just for a fucking graphic tee. It was ridiculous. Well, speaking of Abercrombie, I remember... This is my second reference for my West Virginia history class of the night. Um, so they had a shirt that raised some 
pretty big uproar in the state of West Virginia back in, well, I was in eighth grade, so that would have been, God, um, like, 03, maybe? 03-ish? Yeah, let's say 03. That sounds right. Because there was a sure outline of West Virginia, and uh, it said, it's all relative in West Virginia. It's an incest joke, John. Yeah, yeah. And I remember my West Virginia history teacher was like so appalled by it, which, you know, rightly so, but it's, it's like, I mean, do you want to spend your energy on it? Maybe, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but that's also the time where like, we were all rebellious, like, oh, let's get the shirt. And she was like, if you wear this shirt, you're getting suspended. Basically. I, I don't know if that was the actual threat, but that was the implication. I and, and one kid, uh, Lawrence, I will, I won't say his last name. I don't know what he's doing now. Don't want to put him on blast. Lawrence got the shirt. He was so fucking proud and so excited. He wore it in the class that day. He got kicked out of class. I 100% got kicked out of class. Good. Good. I think they also had one that was like no lifeguard at the gene pool, which was like, oh, <clears throat> it was man. kind of funny, clever, but shit at the same time. So you're saying that really that that teacher ended up being one of the reasons this podcast was created <laughs> fighting against, yes your, that teacher yes. was fighting against stereotypes before you even knew that you'd have a microphone goddamn you know what you have a great point miss st Clair. shout out to you <laughs> shout out uh, miss st Clair. i don't Saint know Claire. you but but Saint i'm Claire. sure you're great i'm sure she you're was great. she was a great teacher she's really good very passionate okay but they're they're a bad company that's what it seems like, right? Like, I don't know if it, it's a, definitely it, a mixed bag. And it, so, but you know who's not a bad company? Starry Eyes Media. There you go. What a what a transition. <laughs> Starry Eyes Media. They are not going to make weird sex jokes and put them on the back of your shirt. They're actually going to make you a pretty nice website. <laughs> yeah, they're going to make you a kick-ass website. They, look... The stuff that they told me that they could do, Chuck, is insane. They can literally take a menu, like if you're a restaurant, take a menu, okay, and and show like where people tend to look and stuff. I don't know how they do it. They're smarter than me. Uh, yeah, they can set it up to where it's like, yeah, where it's like customer base, right? Like they can get customers to, um, I don't know. It's beyond me. They ha- they are marketing. I won't say geniuses because that might be playing them up. I don't know. Are they marketing geniuses? But I think they're they're marketing specialists who are really good at their jobs. Why don't why don't you all get them to do some work for you, and then you can decide if they're geniuses? Yeah, let us know. Maybe they are. But anyway, yeah. they they do branding. They help you with marketing. They create websites. They can make menus. They do uh, print media. They do it all. Check them out. Do it all. They are great. They did our website. Yeah, check out our and, website. It's pretty dope, and uh, SEO on it's great. Yeah, they're they're a good company. A local, uh, actually, a local is kind of relative in Appalachian. Appalachian. They're, yeah, they're an Appalachian company based out of southern West Virginia, um, locally run. Great people, great stuff. Check it out. If you have a website need, you have a, a marketing need, they're they're your people. And um, they helped us out. Boom. Find it in the show notes, com. Support Appalachian businesses not much for announcements today we do have one new patron john name him off for us please we added destiny we've we've reached our destiny it's when it comes to it always yeah anyway destiny thank you so much for joining and thank you to everybody who's remained with us i think we're now at like uh, as this recording we're like 120 which is like mind-blowing uh we continue to grow we're so thankful for that um and it's allowed us to do a lot of really cool things and to have a lot of really cool things coming up yeah and these microphones which are very nice thank you all so much for those um and we hope it's helping yeah i hope so i've been trying to get good at editing so um so yeah thank you for that uh new exclusive coming out this week and then also we're, we're adding um we're finishing our flatwoods monster cryptid bonus series uh for ten dollar and above patreon members so if you are that thank you and if you're not get there join patreon.com slash but with that being said john let's uh let's let's get on the main topic um 
This is an interesting one. I think we got some really good input on the social meds about this. Appalachian mission trips. This is, uh, I don't know. I don't, it's not necessarily unique to Appalachia, but I do think that it's frequently a place where people outside of the region will either with a church group or, or something different do a quote-unquote mission trip to Appalachia, usually to a more impoverished part, um, more rural, where uh, people are in need of help with, like, home repairs. A lot of times it'll be, like, after a natural disaster or something um, to kind of help people out in, in, in the community. And, and some of those organizations do proselytizing, some don't. But it's an interesting issue that we wanted to talk about because uh, I think there's a diverging bit of opinion on it and how people feel about it. Um, and it's just kind of a, an interesting topic. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm interested in your initial take on the issue. Now we, you and I are from Parkersburg. I I don't know that there was that much of these Appalachian mission trip expeditions there, I don't think, but um, definitely in Southern West Virginia. Yeah, I mean, um, we'll definitely get into the, kind of the the meat of it but in in terms of just the mission trips by themselves like on their face uh i've done i did a little bit of research uh on the mission trips because that's the thing the mission trips over overseas are different than the mission trips to appalachia like from that are in the united states they are different um and that that to me uh was a kind of like a a key indicator of maybe maybe some good things, some bad things, uh, but on their face they should be this like you know really nice thing of coming into a region and helping them you know become maybe economically diverse or you know something being built whatever. Um, but to me, I, I am on the negative side of this. I don't like Appalachian mission trips. I don't think that they're helpful. Um, I think there's a lot of better things that could be happening. Um, but, but just, I guess my overall broad answer is I'm not a fan. Not a fan, says John. So to start, I think it's important to make some distinctions, I guess I would say. A lot of times they're through a church, not all the time. A lot of times they're through a church or through some religious affiliation. Some of them are proselytizing, like they want to come, they want to preach the gospel, yada, yada, yada. There's a lot that are more focused on service oriented that's the word i was looking for service oriented service projects i should say things like helping build houses or rebuild houses or or building like an irrigation system to help prevent flooding in a community something like that you know something that involves Mm -hmm. like your hands and 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 picking up a hammer and nail so i want to be clear about that because the term mission trip usually and rightly so has a religious connotation to it of like proselytizing, bringing the gospel that is your mission from God type thing. But it is important to know that that is not always the case for something like this. Um, and overseas Mm -hmm. as well. I'll, I'll explain that in a story here in a minute. But, um, I did want to point that out because a lot of the commentary we saw on social media was, I think viewing it, from a frame of reference that was like religious proselytizing. And by proselytizing, I mean trying to spread the gospel, trying to convert people, trying to make it a religious mission and impart religious principles onto people in a foreign part of where you're not from. So uh, important to make that distinction. Now, some of it is, I will say that. But um, I'm I'm with you partially. So I, I kind of come down on a interesting footing on this. I, I don't like the ones that are proselytizing at all i don't think that that's appropriate um it's just not my thing i understand why people in religious backgrounds want to do it but i don't like it and i don't i don't think it's helpful um and i think that when it comes to general i'm going to speak generally about this we can get into it more detail later but when it comes to like service oriented things i think it it really depends because I'm not going to I'm not going to tell a local part of like eastern Kentucky or southern West Virginia who the local community wants people to come in and help them like build something or or repair something or help their community out. I'm not going to tell them that that's wrong. I'm going to I think it should be their decision if it's something that's coordinated locally that people want, then 
I don't see the harm in that if that if they get what they want. If if the group, the mission group comes down and says they're going to build houses and then they come and they build houses and the community wanted them to come build houses, who am I to say that's wrong? It's to me I don't care. I think that that's fine. Um but I think it there it just there's a lot of uh a lot of variation between them. There's a lot of them that are very like They'll be service-oriented, but they also want to book in that with a religious undertone and want to try to talk about the gospel too, which I don't like at all. Um, so it's it, there's a spectrum, I think, I, I would say. So that's kind of like where, where I come down on it. I'll go into more detail later. But um, one thing I did want to say is I have technically been a missionary uh, because in 2010, I traveled to Kenya um, to work on behalf of the Episcopal Church, Diocese of West Virginia, uh, who partnered with the um, Anglican Church of Kenya, which was the functional equivalent, Anglican, as close as you get to Episcopal, um, pretty much anywhere overseas. But uh, we coordinated with them, and I went over there and helped a family friend, uh, and a guy that was used to be the priest of our church, uh, essentially helped build uh, computer labs for rural schools in Kenya, help them get up and running and teach kids, school kids, and some some adults and teachers how to use them and how to do basic word processing, um, write emails, get their emails set up, that type of thing, uh, to help them learn um, on 21st century technology. And there was absolutely no discussion of God at all. One, because that was not our goal, and it was very clearly stated that it was not our goal. It was an, it was an education project, and it, and it stood as that. Uh, but two, because, I mean, honestly, the, the people in Kenya that were there were more religious than I was, so there was that too. Um, but I wanted to say that because they're, like, even overseas, there are mission trips, quote unquote, that are not necessarily, the, the the purpose is not necessarily to convert somebody to a religion or to proselytize or to push something on someone. And I want to make that distinction because that's what I did. I was technically a missionary um, for the purposes of being able to travel um, safely. Now I get it. Um which I mean I I understand I think there are a few things that are I think are inherently wrong with all missionary trips. Uh, the number one for me is being expensive, like uh, for the people to go. I I think that that's always been an inherent problem with mission trips. Like when it comes to overseas, it's far more expensive. But even the mission trips in Appalachia that like they're coming. Uh, those people still have to put up like $350 to get on the list. You know, they're, they're still putting up money to come here, which to me, I'm like, wait a second, this, I get that things cost money, but if, if it's a mission trip, you would think that they would have some type of, uh, maybe some backing. So people don't have to put up their own money. I just, that's always been a big issue with me is like, uh, the mission trips are expensive. So to me, they're more like a study abroad trip than they are a mission trip. That's always always been something that's been on my mind. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I I don't know if there's really a workaround to it. There's but, there's probably not. Uh, I know that there are some. I know there's some. Some of them have like foundation backing, or I know of some that have been run through a church where the congregation will help finance trips for people. Um, and again, that that kind of like it really varies based on the church and and what their mission is. But yeah, I mean, it's that's it. It certainly is cost prohibitive. Another thing that um, I don't think people think about this. This is something that my weird brain thought of uh, because I'm constantly trying to think of like why why government isn't doing something. So in my opinion, mission trips to Appalachia and to rural Appalachia and those places, it allows state legislature, uh, state legislatures and the federal government to ignore the real problems in Appalachia because they have somebody else doing the work theoretically. But in actuality, that work is only minimal, but it's already, it looks like it's being done. And that's been a huge issue, at least for, for me when I think about it, because I'm like, if if people are going to come in and do this work, that's great. But a lot of the time, the work is very minimal. It's like we put a we fixed a roof on one house like and, and that's great, but that's not helping Appalachia. That's 
helping an individual in Appalachia, which is, again, it's great, but it, to me, allows us to ignore the real issues. Yeah. No, I think that's a valid point, um, and at least gives lawmakers maybe a, an internal permission structure to um, to ignore problems. My, I guess my pushback to that is that even if it wasn't happening, would they actually do something? I mean, because there's a lot of other problems in Appalachia that go unaddressed every day where quote unquote missions aren't coming to help that they're not doing anything about. Well, I don't, I don't know if I think that there are issues, but I'm just saying that I think it gives them another escape route, which they don't, they don't, um, they don't need anymore. No, they sure as shit don't. Um, I guess they don't need them in general at this point. I mean, uh, they just do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. I, I think that, I guess you could take that though and apply it to like pretty much anything that a lot of nonprofits do. Um, which is also a problem though, because I mean, there's a lot of nonprofits that are associated with feeding hungry people. And what is government for? If it's not for taking, not for helping people reach the basic necessities of life, you know, it's, it's a shit system in general. Um, I guess I don't know that removing that would necessarily create the sense of urgency that we would want. I don't think it does either. I just think that it allows, it, it creates at least an excuse uh, or at least, some, you know, subconscious excuse. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. Um, one thing that, and we can read some of these examples too. I know that I didn't read through all of them, but basically for context for our listeners, we posted a question about this on social media, just like, what are your thoughts on mission trips, Appalachia period, you know? Um, and what I saw, like there was a lot of mentioning of outsiders coming in that type of thing, like people not from the region, which I, I have sympathy for that argument. And, but I also, I know a part a lot of what I say, people are probably going to be annoyed with. That's fine. You know, we're allowed to diverge a little bit. So I've always been, a little uncomfortable with the term outsider because I feel like I feel like it and I hate the word gatekeeping too, but I do think it carries with it some sort of gatekeeping thing of like, you're not from here. Like you don't understand. And that's, that is true for a lot of it. But I think part of the problem with that is that you're also, I think creating a, a wall up for people to be able to understand Appalachia. And again, I will always premise this by saying it varies and I am not for most mission trips. I will say that 100%. But I do think that, and and let me just also back up and say that the history of Appalachia makes being skeptical of outsiders very, very warranted. And I'm definitely not ignoring that either. Uh, but as someone who has moved out of the region and moved into places where I was an outsider, I kind of have seen both sides of the token. I've seen... I've, I've felt very, um, it feels really nice to have people that welcome people who are outsiders to feel like, like learn about a place and feel like they can belong somewhere or feel like, like they're not shunned for coming to a place. But I've also felt it as someone who has directed that attention towards me of you're an outsider. You don't understand this place. Why do you, why do you feel entitled to be here? In Nashville, that happened a lot, um, because in Nashville, there are a lot of people that move into that city, a lot of people that move in, and it's actually kind of hard to find native Nashvilleans. So people who are native Nashvilleans, very similar to Appalachia, um, have a lot of inherent skepticism to people coming in from the outside because there's a lot of like people coming in, uh, spending a lot of money, gentrifying the neighborhoods, um, coming in for really high paying jobs, gentrifying neighborhoods. And not really respecting the culture, I think. And so I, I understand that from both sides, from both both ends of that, that spectrum. I wanted to state that because even though I take issue with the term outsiders, I think it's I don't think it's productive or helpful. I completely understand the feeling and I've I've felt it on, on both ways. So it, I don't know how I I'm not sure how you feel on that. And that was probably a really long winded explanation, um, which I'll get into why I talked about it. But. Anyway, that's my thought. I think that's fair. Um, I do think that the, and I'm guilty of it. I use the word outsiders, but I think it, sometimes I think people use outsiders just because what else, what else are you going to say? Like, I, you know, I always try to put in like, you know, people not from Appalachia, but like it, it kind of is, 
they kind of are out. I mean, outsiders, but I get what you're saying. Like it does have a negative con- well, I would, connotation to it. Yeah. I was going to say like, usually when I'm talking about it, it's in the context of like negativity. It's not like, Oh, that's, um, that's Billy Ray Cyrus. He's an outsider. He's not from here. So we're like, that's Billy Ray fucking Cyrus. He's an outsider coming in to, to, you know, take advantage of us. Yeah, I don't know why I, he's Billy Ray Cyrus. I don't know. Either. I don't know where the hell I came uh, from. I I get what you're saying though, um, and it does make sense. My, I guess my pushback on that, which I'm I know that you agree with, is like just looking at the history of Appalachia. I mean, absolutely, outsiders have taken advantage of this region the entire existence of it. So I mean, I think that that's it's kind of culturally um, entrenched in our way of thinking but that doesn't mean that it's a healthy way of thinking and it it does need to change i i agree with you on that uh, yeah that that the you know that we do need to come up with some a, a way to really talk about it without devaluing someone else's existence because that that to me the term outsider does kind of devalue someone else's existence in the region yeah when i think the way the way i like to try to look at it is especially because of the history and just in general with how Appalachia has been treated by outsiders, like viewing it in terms of skepticism is smart and is very much warranted. But I I don't think that I think people should be skeptical, but not close the door entirely on people who, who want to come and learn about Appalachia number one and who may want to come and help people in Appalachia who want to who have been coordinating with local people, not just people like, Oh, I want to come be a like white savior complex type thing. Um, so yeah, I, I like, I think that's, that's sort of where I come down on it because you know, you're fighting history with the, the need to embrace current reality. And that's always difficult. I know we're like kind of got off topic with actual mission trips, but I do think it relates because a, a, most, if not all the mission trips are people outside of Appalachia coming in, um, and I think that in order for a mission trip to be what I would approve of, it would be someone leading it who has a local connection, who has coordinated with local people and has and knows like what they want out of this and knows what they need that they can't get right now. That's the thing. Like when you have people, you know, like in a Mingo County or, or McDowell, for example, West Virginia, when their immediate needs aren't getting met that may be the only resource for someone to get a new roof on their house. And it's not going to help all of Appalachia, but it might help that person. And I think that's the way I try to look at it. But I also understand there's, there's a lot of bad shit associated with mission trips in general, with colonialism, that type of thing. And there's a lot of ignorance too. And I think that's part of the problem is like, there are some people who feel like, Oh, I'm doing this because it, it will help my own, self-esteem make me feel good like I did a good thing for somebody and pat myself on the back and then take pictures of it and post it on Instagram for likes and that shit's disgusting and I fucking hate it stop calling them mission mission trips that's another issue I have with it just stop stop saying that, that. that's like like to 100%. because to me a mission trip signifies that you're going to a you know an impoverished area or an undeveloped area you're coming in to save the day and the fact is, you're not when it comes to these Appalachian mission trips. They're they're going and putting a roof on someone's house. They're essentially volunteer contractors. That's what they've become: volunteer contractors who come into the region and who help a you know a single person out, which is great. Like they're Blackwater. <laughs> they they look they are they are. Uh, they're not quite that bad, I don't think. But, but yeah, I get what you're saying. But anyway, the look, stop, stop referring to them as mission trips. They're not mission trips. They actually, really, in all honesty, the mission is very individualized. It's not to actually help a part of the region. It's to help an individual in the region. When I, especially when I'm searching through, a lot of them are just that. Uh, the big thing too uh, is, and you you mentioned a little bit, which I think makes me think about it. Uh, to me, these quote unquote mission trips, they have, they're not about the region at all. They're about the people on the mission trip. hundred percent. They are, they are 100% about the people on the mission trip. It's either that they have the savior complex that they feel like they need to go somewhere and help people. Or it's the fact that like what you mentioned, that people want to learn about the region, which is great. Come learn about the region. Don't do it as a mission trip because your yeah. the mission trip, it essentially makes Appalachia look weak. 
in my opinion. It makes us it makes us look like we are the stereotype. We can't take care of ourselves. We can't do all these things. And that that to me, I think, is is a major issue when it comes to Appalachia. And you kind of hit on it, too, which I really like this point, like them working with a local group or, you know, a local person. But to me, come and volunteer for that group. Like, come help them. Bring your bring your resources. If there's a nonprofit, let's say your mission, maybe your mission trip is harm reduction, which I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I've seen that many on that, but let's just say it is. And there's a mutual aid group, right? Go volunteer with them. Go help them. Bring your resources. That's the type of shit that changes things. Give them money. Right. Bring your resources. Yeah. That's that's where you'll make change. And then you'll have me. You'll have me as a winner right there. Yeah. Bring the resources. Don't take them. And I would also say, yeah, I would agree with you, though. I think a lot of these groups are, are solutions in search of a problem type organizations. That's a good way to and, put it. Yeah. And I'm with you. I think... Um, I think that's wrong. I do. I don't want, I want to be crystal fucking clear here. I'm not like, I'm not trying to be a, a Joel Austin uh, of Appalachia <laughs> or anything. Um, I wish I had his money though. That'd be great. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. But what I will say is I, I think that part of, of learning about the community is interesting. And I think, I think you make a really good point about it making Appalachia look weak, which is why I would suggest if you're going to do that, make it, make it an exchange program. So if you're from, from, let's say you're from Massachusetts, upper North, Northeast, you know, send some Appalachian people to go up and experience what life is like up there so they can learn about it there while people come experience Appalachia. It doesn't have to just be like, don't use it as poverty porn. Don't use it as like, oh, well, let's learn about these foreign people that nobody knows about. It's like, yeah, you may not know about Appalachians, but Appalachians might not know shit about you. And that's probably the same for most of this country. Shocker is that we don't know much about each other because we don't experience living where other people live. And as you know, John, it's a huge part of your your human construct. I mean, even like growing up in Parkersburg versus Morgantown is completely different. So that's what I would say. I think because I think my, my whole point is there is a way to allow people from outside of Appalachia to come in and have it be a productive experience, whether it's doing a, a service project that's coordinated locally by people who want it and who need it, or if it's if it's to try to learn more about a place they don't know. I don't see harm inherently in those two goals, and I almost called them missions. I didn't, though, <laughs> because, because I think you're right, because the, the connotation of mission trip is a spoiled connotation because it, it it's steeped in history of colonialism and, and religious proselytizing. And that's, that ain't cool. But you know, a lot of people that listen to this show and, and, and you and I, especially uh, like a lot of people, I think this is, let me just dial back a second. Cause I, I found this a lot in Nashville. A lot of people who were very much like anti outsider kind of gatekeeping we're always extremely pro immigrant. Like we should be welcoming of people coming into this country, which I'm obviously for. But to me, I almost seem like a little bit of a hypocrisy on my part. I know that those two dynamics are completely different, but if you're willing, you, you know, love thy neighbor goes for a local level as it does for national, I think in some respects. And it's understandable to be more skeptical at a local level. Cause like places like Nashville have been exploited. People like, Native Nashvillians have been exploited just like Appalachians have, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people who, who want to learn about Appalachian, who want to do good by it and who want to help people. And I don't think that we should inherently be shunning that if it's for the right reasons. And if it's something that people in Appalachia want, need and welcome. And I'm just saying that because I can sit here and talk all day about something, but if somebody in, you know, if people in Rand, West Virginia, who got their houses damaged by, by a storm, who don't have the resource to fix themselves, who there's not a local Habitat for Humanity chapter that can help them rebuild their houses. And there's people from, I don't know, um, uh, Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn or somewhere that want to come down and help and want to coordinate and be able to provide resources, then to me... I don't see the problem in that. And I think that, that being open to that is not a bad thing. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think, 
I think that there's a difference though between saying outsiders when it comes to mission trips and saying outsiders when somebody's coming to like visit. Like it, I think that there's more of a negative connotation with people like coming on a mission trip and that being more of a pushback than there is people. Oh, now, there absolutely. are there are places in the region that 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 does happen, but I mean the whole this is not even it's not even um volunteerism anymore it's voluntourism like that's what it's become it's mm-hmm. it, it's essentially that's a real term now it is a real term and, and and that's what it's become um now i think i've focused a lot on the negative parts of it obviously there are some positive parts to it one people do get somebody gets resources somebody gets something that they didn't have before so that is that is a positive thing we do know that the other thing is, if depending on the area, they may want religion to come into their community. I mean, who are we to say they don't? Like, I, I don't know. I know that there are some places that really do. But the, the funny thing that always kind of cracks me up about these, this is, this is off topic, but it's still funny, um, is that the United States of America is, at least at one time, may not be anymore, but at one time, it only was 79% Christian. And it was less than the places they were going to take Christianity to. Mm-hmm. Like when they'd go from Mexico and be like, we're, we're taking Christianity down there, but Mexico's 91% Christian. <laughs> like yeah. it, it's, it's just that kind of stuff that like kind of blows my mind. And, and Appalachians, you know, there are a lot of parts that are very, you know, it's the Bible belt. Like it, it is to a point religious. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you look, um, yeah, I think that you and I are in agreement because, um, like, the the biggest thing for me, the anchor to all of this, is I'm not going to tell people who want something that they shouldn't have it because of a generalization I have about something. I'm not going to tell people in in eastern Kentucky that, no, there shouldn't be people coming down to help help you rebuild your house or help you understand God more um, because I, I don't agree with it or I think it's bad. And I, but that, I think the whole point is, is that it has to be something that people in Appalachia want and have expressed desire and interest in. And, and so I don't know. I think that's, that's where I fall on this issue. That's where I, I kind of, that's why like I'm not totally closed off to the idea, but it is something that I think has been steeped in a history that has been unhelpful. And so that's really, I think that's the biggest problem is that I would say, and I don't have, this is anecdotal. I don't have any evidence back this up, but I would say the majority of mission trips have been motivated a lot by self interest more so than interest in help. Maybe, maybe both. I don't know, but at least it has appeared that way. And so I think whenever it comes to considering something like this, it, it has to be considered in what do, what do people actually want in Appalachia? And that's, that's oftentimes not been part of the conversation. The part of the conversation, a lot of the times, at least nationally has always been, what do other people think is good for Appalachia? And instead it should be, what do Appalachians want? And if they don't want people coming in and doing that shit, then they need to fuck off. Like those people need to not come in and do that shit. Yeah. Uh, before bef- my big, bold <laughs> philosophical take right there, but before we move on, I, I want to share some of the responses we got because I do think some of them are interesting. Get it. So one of them that we got, which I found to be probably the most interesting, or at least one of the most interesting was, let me see from actually, I won't, I won't say people's names because I don't want people to feel like I'm, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, here's one. I've met a bunch of people who fell in love with West Virginia because their place of worship took them there on a mission trip. So anecdotally, I'm about them. And then they re- also replied to their own comment and said, by the way, it's good to see so many folks on this thread looking, f- looking a gift horse in the mouth. Hashtag so brave. Was that, I'm assuming that was sarcasm? No, I, I think that, oh yeah, they're saying, yeah, they're, they're being sarcastic. They're saying that, that yeah. they're looking a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah. And. Okay. Yeah. That's like, like shunning something that was good a good, that you, a good or, thing. Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. which again 
is great. I, I love the fact that people came here to West, you know, to West Virginia and fell in love with the area and fell in love with the people, right? But they didn't need a mission trip to do that. They, they could have taken a trip here. The, a group could take a trip here. That's great. And I love that. But the fact is, get on like, the Potomac Eagle. Yeah, get on the Potomac Eagle and 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 get that train in here, baby. But again, this whole this is this is exactly the the comment I was looking for too. The second one, looking a gift horse in the mouth, because to me that says not only do you need this, but you should shut up and take it. And that that's what my mom said when she tried to give me Dimatap when I was a kid. Right, like that's this uh-huh. is this is the sorry this is the Pepto Bismol of answers. Like shut up and take oh, it, Jesus. Uh, and you know you take it when you have to have it. Anyway, I I do I like the first comment that people came here and fell in love with the, the area. That's great, but to say that it's a gift horse isn't true. These mission trips are not gift horses. They're helping individuals get something that they didn't have before, which is great for that individual. It's not great for the region. Stop pretending like it is. Now, when when they come, when they come and work on the water system in Kentucky, you know, or donate money to help people actually have clean water, that's looking at gift horse in the mouth. But they don't do that. They collect money and then come put a roof on someone's house. There was some metaphor. Which is, again. Yeah, there was there was some metaphor there about taking a gift horse to water, but you can't make him drink it. But I don't know what it was, and I'm not going to try. Um, <laughs> another one that we got. Do you want to oh, comment was, on that one? Well, I have one that I was going to point out, but if you get another one, go for it, and then I'll... Yeah, well, point this it. is a, from it. a friend no, of mine no. who I know has done one. Um, she said, I went to Southwest Virginia, so Southwest Virginia, because I had to enunciate that because I got that very confused when I was a kid. For a few mission trips in high school, mostly did small construction projects, building ramps, sealing roofs, drywalling. One adult in particular who organized them put on a big emphasis on educating ourselves about the region beforehand, and I appreciate that she wanted us to know that we were gaining some perspective and weren't there to be saviors. No proselytizing from a religious standpoint, but every group who visited spent an evening listening to a presentation about how coal companies were doing good things for the environment. So that part of that specific program was weird. Which I uh, I thought that was interesting, uh, and also really telling. I mean, I'm wondering. It makes me wonder if coal companies were funding that, which is very troublesome, um, and and just kind of shows you some of the problems there. Uh, so that was clearly that comment was a very mixed bag. Yeah, I mean that's that's fair. But again, uh, so uh, you're right. Like that. That makes your like antennas go up. Like, why is this happening? Um, I wanted to read one from another person who went on one. Right. Um, I took two youth groups on mission trips to Appalachia with Appalachia Service Project over ten years ago, and I think the organization is well run and provided in actual high quality service. In parentheses home repair and parentheses to the homeowners. Although religious based, we chose ASP specifically because they did not. Uh, they didn't push religion to the people whose homes we were working on. I would really love to know how ASP is viewed by locals. Um, I think again, ASP is a ASP was Appalachian service project. Right. right? And it is a more well-known, uh, mission form of quote unquote mission trips. Again, though, this group could, if you really want to help and I'm not trying to like, continue on this but like home repair is one thing and i i get that but again it seems kind of redundant that all of these groups are doing the same thing and crazy enough we've had mission trips to appalachia for what the last at least the last 15 to 20 years and crazy enough um infrastructure is not any better (laughs) people are not coming to the, they're not moving to the region. We don't have skyscrapers in all the cities. Like it it hasn't done anything. (laughs) No flying cars yet. I do want to see like a mission trip where there's just like an army of people with some bobcats and ditch witches that come and just start like (laughs) doing like power cuts and shit. That'd be pretty cool. (laughs) 
if it was desired. Yeah. I mean, that, again, and I get that. And there are there are certain types like I do think that obviously it's it is nice that people are coming in and, and building ramps for like handicapped people and stuff like that. That's great. Again, I don't know why we have to call the mission trips, because, again, it does make Appalachia look weak. Um, and I think, um, you know, I've, I've already harped on that enough. And the last one, I thought that this was interesting because I didn't think about this. Um, this, said, this person said, I went to a school where the Appalachian mission trip trips were a cool thing to do. And being from Appalachia myself, it was awkward. But I definitely feel a lot of those kids needed their eyes opened, which those trips provided. And I agree with that. I do think people need to open their eyes. However, again... I think the mission trips benefit the people on them rather than the people that they come to help. So uh, that's a great thing. But your mission isn't to help people. Your mission is to learn about the region. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's also like how, how they're defining it for themselves, too. I mean, the mission can help you, but it should be helping Appalachians, too. And they should want it. Um, yeah, that's, you know... This is this is a topic that has come up before, and it's really interesting because it it, it requires some self examination of, of our region and and the struggles that it's had, but it's also it also is it, it can often be another form of exploitation that is masked as something that something nice and welcome. So, it I think um, ultimately for me, it's I don't want to paint the concept with a broad brush and say that all of them are bad. Uh, but I do think that number one, they need to be rebranded from mission trip. And two, it should always be like Appalachians that are calling the shots that are, that, that, that are, are Appalachians should always be the ones that should be front and center making the decisions. This, is this something we want? Is this something we need and go from there? And um, I don't know because I think that, uh, like I said before, they've they've often been taken out of the decision making role and had their decisions made for them. Yeah, I mean, uh, are these problems not existing in the states where these people are from? That's the other thing that kind of makes me irritate about this, like ha- getting wheelchairs fixed and uh, or wheelchairs, getting wheelchair ramps put in, getting roofs fixed. That's not an Appalachian issue. <laughs> It's an issue around, they could literally walk down the road and help somebody, but that wouldn't be interesting. Right. And that's, I think what makes me so angry about it is like, these are not Appalachia mission trips. Like it's just a trip to Appalachia where you're putting it, you know, you're doing a roof. Like you could do that in your own state. These are not Appalachian issues. Yeah. I guess I would say that the, the rub for that with them is that they're, um, I guess the positive spin to that would be is that they gives them an opportunity to learn about a place they don't, aren't familiar with. And I, again, inherently that's not a bad thing, but it's often, again, as you mentioned, done in a self-serving way that's more focused on, Oh, what am I going to get on, out of this and not, what am I going to be doing? What am I going to be doing to help someone else? And is it something they truly want? Um, but I, don't, I mean, look. Which hashtag? Which hashtags can I use? Yeah, right. For my picture, yeah. for my picture in front of the house I'm working on, and I'm holding a hammer. Yeah. Um. Do I need to bump up the saturation on this to show the color that I painted better? Um. I've got an idea for you. Ramps for ramps. All right. Here you go. This is where you you combine culture and service. Build ramps, and in exchange, you're going to learn about a cultural staple of Appalachia ramps, the wild onions, and uh, and there you go. Everybody is helped, and, um, and you take a little bit back with you that you learned. And then the religious ones can be morals for morels. Yeah, I would take issues with with religion preaching morals, but I'm there for it. I, I think that the alliteration is strong. Uh, yeah, that's true. I think everybody's got morals. No, that's not going to work. But anyway, the sister to that program can be morals for morals. All right. Well, that I think that ends our discussion, at least for now, on um, on Appalachian quote-unquote mission trips. Let us know what you think uh, and, and how much you hate me for this conversation, if you hate me at all, or maybe you agree with me. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know what people think. I just 
express my opinion like I do every week, and apparently some people think that's not completely intolerable, so that's cool. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, last part of the show, you know, it's uh, it's not stew season, but I always like a nice stew. I don't know about you. You bust out the crock pot. You always get the crock pot out on a Sunday night, like when we record. You put in your vegetables, some of your carrots, some of your potatoes. But I always like to put a big old helping of chicken. No, I'm kidding. A big old helping of beef. And who else to consult on that to make a big beef stew than the legendary beef master general himself, the five-star general of bovine beef with Big John's. Don't even make sense, but I don't care. Ladies and gentlemen, we are pleased to present to you the beef-feeding mouth of the South coming to you live from a foreclosed Ponderosa back-to-back buffet world champion beef with Big John. That's all right. Yeah, first off, I got to start out with who I don't have beef with. Chuck, I don't have beef with you because that was a great intro. So great work there. Second, I don't have... That's the whole purpose of my thing was to avoid right. that. You got to be careful. The second one, I don't have beef. We we got a postcard in the mail and I, I wanted to bring it up. Holy shit. I wanted shit. to bring it up. I forgot. I'm so sorry. It's downstairs during this recording. I'll post a picture to um, Instagram and stuff like that. But Chuck, the... So it's a postcard, which it had a really nice message on it, say, you know, saying how they found West Virginia and stuff like that and how they loved it and how they loved Appalachia. But on the back there, (laughs) there's these two lobsters, (laughs) right? And one of them is standing up and the other one's like kind of stuck and um, can't get out. But (laughs) the one that's standing up has an I'm with stupid shirt on pointing to the other one and in my head, I was like, are they trying to tell us something? Like, are they trying to, to tell us that, like, one of us is with stupid? Um, boy, that's a great question. Uh, I think I've actually seen that on a big dog shirt before. So, um, you, you definitely have seen yeah, that on a big I mean, dog shirt. Maybe, maybe it's more introspective than that. May, or maybe, maybe both of us are the person that's caught. And they're the person that's wearing that's, the shirt. You know, I, I'm going to leave that up to the gods to debate. Um, I don't. I look. The beauty about art is it's all within the eye of the beholder. And I don't want to try to interpret what the uh, artist, in this case, the male er, um, was trying to say. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, if you want to send us some PO Box twenty four sixty six, Parkersburg, West Virginia two six one zero two, we do really like getting them. And when you send stuff, I don't have beef with you. Even when it's like a cool letter, like we just want to hear about beef free uh, card. about your day. Yeah, get a beef free card. Anyway, what do I have beef with this week, Chuck? I got beef with TikTok. Chuck, we recently joined TikTok. I don't know if people know this, but we recently joined TikTok. We're we're gonna do some stuff on there, some content. Uh, we're still trying to figure out. If you got any ideas, let us know. Um, and part I of it is, uh, I we both made a. We both, both of us made an individual one as well. Uh, he's at Chuck Cora. I'm at Big John Eisner. And of course, it's I don't at, at ever intend to anyway. post anything on it. I only do it to follow people. We're, it's okay. Uh, one time you will probably something. Anyway, they, maybe we should do a follower goal and then you'll do something. Oh, like if we get like a hundred followers or something, I'll post some. You'll, you'll do a. You'll do a trending thing. I'll do a, I'll do a stitch of, of me um, responding to some bullshit. I, don't, I can't even set. This is how much I fucking know. I can't even. Yes. If we get. All right. So here it is, folks. All right. You ready for this? We're going to get to that beef. But if we get. I'm going to make this bold. If we get 500 followers. No. Hell, fuck that. When we get to 1,000 followers on TikTok, I will make a TikTok video. We are at approximately 44 right now. So get to work. All right. Anyway, so when we get to what'd you say a thousand? We get to a thousand. Tick, uh, he's uh, Chuck is gonna do some. I think he's gonna. I think what would be best is if you did a duet with something that's trending. Just really bring it home for everybody. But anyway, we'll get to that point. 
All right. Anyway, why do I have beef with TikTok? Here's why. Because there are a lot of videos out there that seem to be pushing Appalachian stereotypes. There's a lot of jokes on there about a lot of skits. There's one that I had, I posted a response to. I took it down because the person did put up a response video saying that the reason they were doing it was they wanted to show that they were a person of color. And this is kind of like how they felt, which is great, but I wish that would have been in the video that they posted, right? Because the video that they posted was this quote unquote mission trip to Kentucky that it, it, you know, they didn't have clean water, which some places that's true. But also they said like they didn't have, they've never seen a toothbrush or mouthwash and like it, stuff like that's not funny to me. And it's also to me, not a great way to make a point because if you're trying to draw people in, that's not how to do it. Uh, our region has been through enough. I think that we can have this discussion on different terms, but that being said, there's also other things like just jokes in general about like people being each other's, um, like if you're Appalachian and you're married, like you married your cousin, blah, 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 you know, stuff like that. It's just, it's idiotic quote unquote humor. It's low hanging comedy is what I like to call it because it's a low hanging fruit. It's an easy joke to make over and over again. It has actually no quality to it. It's not really funny. It's not something that, um, it's not something that people would actually care about. It's just for a quick like and a quick, you know, quick reshare or whatever the hell goes on there. And I, I, it's just TikTok has become such a big platform that when that constantly gets pushed, that's going to bring up stereotypes for a younger generation because our whole point is we can't fix, we can't fix the old heads, Chuck, like the people who are, who are entrenched in the way they think. We can't fix them. But you know what we can do? We can ensure that young Appalachians and young people don't have to go through these stereotypes and don't have to learn about them or don't have to know these stereotypes. But when TikTok allows this kind of stuff or just like when people edge it on, I should say, not allow, but edges it on, that's a problem to me. That's something that's dangerous for this region that's going to set us back, especially with younger people. And I think that it's something that has to has to be challenged. And I think there are people on there challenging it. I just... I just want to hear more of a challenge and I'm, I'm not laughing at the TikTok thing. I'm laughing at Chuck cause he's messing with his mic and it keeps falling. Um, anyway, so if you have a TikTok and you see an Appalachian video, challenge that thing, do a stitch, right? I learned what that is, a stitch where you can like show their video and then you can respond to it. Do something like that. Tell people why it's wrong. Show people why it's wrong show them that you're not the stereotype or why the stereotype actually doesn't exist or, you know, just push back. We need that. And I think we do a a really good job on Twitter. I think Twitter's great in terms of that. (laughs) Twitter's got it. Uh, You're on mute if you're trying to actually talk. Okay. Uh, The Twitter's got it. Facebook, eh, we're never going to win there probably. But TikTok is something that does need pushback. So go ahead, uh, pushback. I'm going to push back on my TikTok. That Those are probably going to be my primary ones that I do. I don't like doing anything else. Um, so make sure you follow at Appodlatcha, at Big John Eisner, at Chuck Cora, because at 1,000 followers, Chuck is going to do something great for TikTok. 1,000 on the pod. I don't give a f- Don't follow no, 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 our I know, I know. Follow our, follow our, our podcast follow all, account. Follow all of them. Because you may fall in love with it, Chuck, and then you're just, you're cranking them out. I will. <laughs> um, so if you get, if you get Appod Latch up to a thousand followers, I will make a TikTok video. This is really going to test people's general level of interest in my content, which I, <laughs> if it takes us a long time to get to a thousand, it'll be very telling. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, John, <sighs> As they always say, um, space is the next great or the last great frontier. I would do a hard disagree and say for us, it's TikTok because it's TikTok. Where stereotypes exist, it's a shameful place and um, it's a dirty place, a filthy one. And you need people that are the disinfectant of poor narratives to come in and Mr. Clean the shit out of that place. And I'm not saying that's what we're going to do, but we might throw up a couple of videos at some point. So there you go. Um, but yeah, well, I mean... Our, our, pers- our, our, our iPod Latcha has videos. I know it does. Um, what uh, what I was going to say at a serious note is that you do make good points. And, um, and that is a really... As much as it begrudges me and I hate social media, is extremely 
influential platform, one that that people's eyeballs are on constantly, and one that is influencing the way that people think and and view different places. And so, here we go again. I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> It, yeah. So it, it, yeah, it, it's it's dangerous. That's all I'm saying. Dangerous. We're we're uh dangerous. we're 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 um we're banditos in the wild west come to rein it all in. But anyway, with that being said, we will end the episode on that note. Do all the social medians, including TikTok and all the other ones, or Talk Tick or Dick Sock. You know, all those good ones. Friendster, MySpace, um, Zanga. Uh, <laughs> my mom, my mom calls it Tic Tac. <laughs> She ain't wrong. You know, I saw on I saw on NBC they were talking about that Tic Tac app. I'm like which one? Peppermint? <laughs> the orange ones <laughs> are the best. But yeah, so do all that. Check out the store. Check out the website. Check out Starry Eyes Media, and check us out next week.